0: We've been talking about, for the last few weeks, about David, the man after God's own heart. You know, the heart is biblically defined as, you know, we know it refers to the center, both of the physical, emotional, intellectual, and moral teachings of man. It's very important. We know physically the heart is very, very important. Because if anything happens to the heart, well, you're in a big problem. But morally, faithfully, before God, that if anything happens to your heart, will determine how close you are to him. If you have something, some attitude that blocks, that affects your heart, it might affect God's relationship with you. I think that's what Saul found out when he offered a sacrifice that he was not entitled to offer in 1 Samuel chapter 13. When he failed to destroy the Amalekites as he had been instructed in 1 Samuel chapter 15. When he made a rash vow in chapter 14. One that would have necessitated the execution of his son who did no thing about the vow. So we know the heart, biblically speaking, is very, very important. It's a measure of our spiritual health. And in David, we saw and a couple of weeks ago, I said that David was a spiritual man. That is, he knew that life was more than just the physical life that he was living. There was life beyond. We said that he was a humble man. He was the youngest in his household. He probably got all the dirty jobs. You know, that's what we try to do the youngest. Because we're older. We've done those things and we don't need to do those anymore. It's your turn. You're doing them all. There may be a whole lot to be said, but we also noted that when he was anointed as king in Israel, he was a young man. And it was such that he didn't let it go to his head. We'll develop that just a little bit today, probably. He also said that he had faith in God. He had trusted in God. During the darkest hours when he failed God failed himself, failed the nation as king in his adultery with Bathsheba, in the murder of her husband, Uriah the Hittite, trying to cover it up, he failed. And when Nathan the prophet came to him, And he pronounced judgment upon a man in a parable. Nathan just told him, you're the man. God would have given you anything that you needed. If you needed another wife, he'd have given her to you. My words, not in scripture, but implied. God would have taken care of you. You didn't need to do it your way in this regard. And he just said, I have sinned against the Lord my God. So he trusted God in his repentance. And we're going to talk about that today as well as we develop some other topics. Some other qualities in the life of David, a man after God's own heart. Why? So that we can look to David, who points us to Christ, but also as we see in David those qualities of life, we can strive to imitate him as well. After all, it was Paul who said, be therefore imitators of me as I am of Christ in First Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. And that's what we want to do. David, I believe, was one who we could safely say was devoted to God. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot. It means that he loved God first and foremost. And where did he learn to love God to that degree, to that depth? Well, I think it was taught to him from a very young age. As the Shema taught, as we looked at it several months ago, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, it reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, And with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Those first two verses... Four and five, is that what we should do? That's the actual Shema. The rest of it is how we develop that. That's how David developed that. Every now and then you go to somebody's house. Maybe you have them in your house. You might have a sign. Some people will have Joshua's quote. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Kind of lets, it's a subtle reminder there that we're going to serve God. It's a reminder to thing to our friends as well. This is a house where God is respected. David loved God. He was devoted to him. Ahava was that word that's used in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It carries that idea of a longing for or a breathing for another. When we truly love God in this way, we give him every bit of our life, our heart, our soul, our mind. It's giving God every single bit of our being. And that's what Paul would say in Romans. Chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The whole burnt offering is in view here. I just completed reading Leviticus a couple of days ago, a few days ago, and I was struck as I was reading, getting toward the end. and said, what is the overall teaching here in Leviticus? Well, I think, simply put, it is God is holy. And if you're going to come before me, I want all of you. I don't want just part of you. I want all of you. We think of Leviticus as being a book with a lot of blood and gore and sacrifice and rules and regulations. It's all trying to instruct Israel, I want you to be holy. I don't want there anything to be defiling in your life. I want you to love me so much that you will do everything to imitate me. I want you to be consecrated. Consecrated literally means dedicated, set apart. You read in the book of Leviticus of all of the objects of the temple and the tabernacle of the worship that would be done there, that they were set apart holy to God and that the altar was holy that made the sacrifice holy. It was set apart. And that's how God wants us to be. He wants us to be set apart as a living sacrifice. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. God wants us to love him that way. And as such, David is one of the, maybe the only king in Israel that never worshipped idols just didn't have him. He was God's man. He was devoted to God. We need to learn to be devoted to God in all that we do. This is not just a nice thing to do while we're living. It's what God wants of us. To be devoted to him in all things. And that means we're going to be trusting in him for all things as well. Well, David was not only devoted, he was very penitent. We saw that, as I said and mentioned in my introduction, that he had trusted in God, had faith in God, when he confessed his sin before God with Bathsheba and killing Uriah the Hittite. But it was such as well that as we read in Psalm 51, we read of his penitence. Psalm 51 To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan, the prophet, went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only. Have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment? said, Lord, I sinned against you. There was not a sacrifice that David could have offered under the Levitical system for his cleansing. And yet God accepted him, took away his sin, didn't take away the consequences, but he took away his sin. He was penitent. And later on in life, he would recognize, and David wasn't perfect. He didn't walk sinlessly perfect before God all of his days. He messed up, just like you and me, but when he realized, he came back to God. This was just one of those times in which he did recognize it. He goes on to say, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and incended. My mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, so I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide from your face my from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold with, uphold me with a willing spirit. He said, Father, I sinned. I want the relationship back. I want to be yours. He said, then I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O oh God. Oh, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in your right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. He said, Lord, I know the sacrifices and I will offer them. But I know the true sacrifices that you want are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Then God, I give it to you. He did that very same thing after in Second Samuel. Second Samuel, chapter 24, he took a census in Israel. Joab warned him, said, don't do this. I would that God would give you a hundred times as many people as now as they are while you still may see it. Don't do this thing. I'm paraphrasing part of this. But David did it anyway. And then in verse 10, David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I've done very foolishly. And then the prophet Gad came to him and said, you have three choices. Three years of famine, fleeing before your enemies for three months, three days of pestilence in the land. Think it over, David, and I'll do it, whichever you say. And David said, I'm in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hands of man. So I'll trust in God. Whatever's right before him, that's what we'll do. And there was a pestilence and 70,000 men from Dan to Beersheba died. And the angel of God was going to destroy Jerusalem and God prevented him. It is enough. Stay your hand. And then David, back in fellowship with God, offered sacrifices to him. Aruna the Jebusite, offered him the threshing floor, the land, the sacrificial animals, everything he needed. And David said, no, I'm not going to offer my God something that does not cost me anything. And so David bought. And he offered it to God. But he was penitent. He realized that he messed up again. I wonder if he had that same thought. I did this with Bathsheba. Why did I do it again? And isn't that just what we do Sometimes. Oh, I did this. Oh, it's foolish of me. And then later on, here's something else. Oh, I did it again. I said I wasn't going to do that. And again and again. As long as we come back to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. David was also not only repentant, penitent. He was faithful to promises that he made. You know, a mark of integrity is if you make a promise, you keep the promise. Many, many years ago, before we got so litigious, before we had so many things dealing with contracts and two, two people would shake hands on a deal and say, this is the way it is. My word is my bond. Even to their hurt. Well, in first Samuel, chapter 20. David and Jonathan were together and David was fearful for his life. Jonathan had been kept out of the loop of Saul's anger toward David and Saul's trying to kill David. Oops, that's 2 Samuel. need to get in 1 Samuel. And you know that they made a promise. When David said, no, Jonathan, you don't understand. Saul knows of our relationship and he's keeping it from you. And in verse 12, Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be my witness when I've sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or on the third or the third day. Behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more so if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And may the Lord be with you after as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die and do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And they made a covenant together. a Covenant with David, of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made him swear again by his love for him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. Now we move a few. A little bit further chapters over after Saul, after David has fled Saul and he's taken over, you know, he's gotten the kingdom now. And in chapter nine, and David said, is there anyone, still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Yeah, one of Saul's friends, one of Jonathan's servants, a servant of Saul. Yeah, Mephibosheth is there. He's crippled. And David said, send for him. And David restored to him everything of Saul's land and his wealth. He said, And by the way, you're going to eat at my table. David was a man of integrity and he kept his promises. When it would have, in a time when it would have been so easy, just say, Forget that. I'm going to kill this guy because he's the house of Saul. But he was Jonathan's son. I'm going to honor my promise to the man that I loved. A man who we had such a good thing together. Well, integrity means you're faithful to the promises that you make, even to your hurt. And so we go through life and we say things and we need to be true to them, even to our hurt. And then finally, and then this lesson will be yours. David had confidence in God. Now, I realize that confidence could also mean a synonym for trust, you know, for faith. It's one of those words that, you know, it's blending in shades. And I'm taking a little different approach to it here this morning. He had a lot of confidence in God. I don't know. Maybe that he learned that out in the pastures with the sheep when God delivered him from a lion and a bear. When he delivered him from Goliath and he killed Goliath. I think he learned it and he learned it well. That if I'm with God, he will be with me. And whatever he says, I know it's going to come to pass. I don't know how he reacted when Samuel anointed him with oil and said, One day God will put you on the throne in Israel. But he did. Maybe he treasured those things up in his heart, like Mary treasured the things said about Jesus in her heart. I don't know. But he built his life on those things. And why is this important? Well, Saul had made it his mission to kill David. David fled. I mean, David was still in the palace and he's there, you know, God took his spirit away from Saul and gave him an evil spirit. And David came in to play the harp for him, the liar, And it would calm him. On one occasion, Saul became enraged and took a spear and he threw it at David. It sticks in a wall. Now, I don't know about you, but I might be kind of afraid And if I'm in a situation, if I have a weapon, as David would later find himself with weapons, and men serving him in a ragtag army, if you will, as they fled Saul, and at least on two occasions, he came within close proximity to Saul where he could have killed him. In fact, one of his servants, as they were right there, and I think you take Saul's water and maybe a spear, But his servant is there, said, just let me strike him once. I won't need to strike him a second time. So I will take his head off in one blow. And you're not going to have to worry about this guy anymore. And David on those occasions says, no, I will not lift my hand against God's anointed. God's promised him the throne. In a time in which. People killed fathers and sons and aunts and uncles all for the sake of power of the throne. David would have been justified probably in killing Saul because Saul was trying to kill him. We would call it self-defense. We would call it, you know, work. But David refused. And that meant Saul for the longest times, kept pursuing him until Saul got caught up in a war with the Philistines and ultimately lost his life. David knew it was wrong. Saul was God's anointed. You know, we may not know or understand God's working, but he's working. He's working on each and every one of us. And what he tells us is, have confidence in me. I'll take care of you. In 1 John, chapter 1. Well, the Hebrew writer tells us in chapter 10 and verse 19 that we can enter before the throne of God with boldness, confidence. In the Greek, that would be a word that would indicate the right of a free man to speak. Slaves didn't have that right. But in John, in chapter 1. John, in the first four verses, talks about their fellowship that they can have with God. They saw it in Christ. It existed in the beginning. I believe with Adam and Eve. And now they saw it in Jesus. He said, we want you to have that same fellowship. Because we have this fellowship. And we're writing these things that our joy may be made complete. Walk with us in the light of Christ. And he says, God is light. In him there is no darkness. If we say that we have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, with God, with Christ. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we agree with God that we're sinners, verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We have to have that confidence that I'm walking in the light of God that I know I'm with him in fellowship. And I don't have to worry about anything. Paul would say at the end of Romans chapter 8 that there's nothing on this earth or in the life to come that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So we can have that confidence. And he tells he builds on this from Romans or from 1 John chapter 1 into chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you. So that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He says, brethren, I don't want you to sin. But if you do, know this, have confidence in this, that we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, who is pleading your case. That's the best defense attorney I can think of. And then we'll close out with 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. My little children, I've written these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have any questions about it. And I think that's what David had. He knew of his relationship with God. And they want us to know of our relationship with God. To have confidence in it. So that we'll continue that walk with God, because if you don't have confidence in God, trust me, you're not going to walk with him. You'll not repent before him. You'll not be devoted to him. When you have confidence with him, you'll be all of those things. And so as the song that we're going to sing for the invitation, 453, love lifted me is just that love lifted us from where we were. And put us into relationship with God. So that we would be devoted to him. So that we would be confident in him. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your life. But you do. And God does. But if you're subject to the invitation of Jesus, won't you please come to him while we stand and sing this song for your encouragement.